Hey, welcome back to the FDIC podcast, where we talk about banking and how our banks impact our financial lives. I'm Brian Sullivan with the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Every other year, the FDIC releases a national survey of unbanked and underbanked households. Working with the U.S. Census Bureau, the FDIC seeks to measure the number and percentage of U.S. households who either don't use our banking system very much or not at all. The 2021 National Survey of Unbanked and Underbanked Households is just released. And joining us to unpack the numbers are Karen Chu, the FDIC's Chief of Banking and Consumer Research, and Keith Ernst, Associate Director of the FDIC's Consumer Research and Examination Analytics Branch. Two numbers people, but analysts uh, who have been involved in this survey for many years. Karen and Keith, welcome to you both. Thank you, Brian. Good morning. Hey, Karen, let's begin with you. Give us um, a sense of what this 2021 survey tells us. All right. Well, so the 2021 survey found that despite facing unprecedented challenges due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the number of U.S. households that were banked increased by 1.2 million between 2019 and 2021. Hmm. In 2021, 4.5% of U.S. households that is 5.9 million households, were unbanked, meaning that no one in the household had a bank or credit union account. That 4.5% unbanked rate is the lowest level since our survey began in 2009. And the 2021 survey is the fifth consecutive survey over the last decade that has shown a decline in the unbanked rate. Well, presuming that it's we all believe that it's better to be banked than not to be banked. These are good numbers, right, Keith? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the the proportion of households participating in the banking system is at a record high. And what that really tells us is that more Americans than ever before are benefiting from the banking system. You know, at the FDIC, our fundamental mission is promoting confidence in the system. And and part a big part of that is making sure Americans can participate and take advantage I mean, in many ways, participation is the ultimate vote of confidence in the system. And COVID was a pretty big moment for the banks. Right. Sure. Going into the survey, we really did not know uh, what to expect. There was every reason to believe that the unbanked rate could have gone up, not down. I mean, people were losing their jobs. Uh, There was a lot of uncertainty in the economy. And in the past, when those sorts of things have happened, what we've seen is an increase in the unbanked rate. But this time, what we saw was the opposite more people coming into the system, and there are probably some very good reasons for that. Well, with all the government stimulus that was being distributed to individuals and businesses all across the country, Paycheck Protection Program, economic impact payments, people put that in the bank. Yeah, exactly right. And and people had every incentive to do that, not just to keep that money safe and secure, although that's a great reason to have a bank account, but to be able to receive those funds quickly. I mean, people may remember back when the government was distributing the economic stimulus payments, there was a big emphasis on getting that money to households quickly. We were in an economic emergency. And the quickest way to do that is by direct deposit. In fact, the FDIC recognizing this partnered with the IRS and with banking trade organizations to get the word out about safe, affordable bank accounts that households could open remotely, many times without ever even going into a branch. We also launched a public awareness campaign called Get Banked, 
all with the focus of taking advantage of what we thought of as a very bankable moment. So if you think about it, at this moment in time, there was a unique opportunity to help households who were looking to get that money quickly and securely to find a bank account that they could open for that very purpose. And the survey really found that key bankable moment, right, that what we saw was that, in fact, uh, for households that became banked since March of 2020, uh, the receipt of these government benefit payments were an important contributor to the household becoming banked, specifically among recently banked households that received a government benefit payment, almost half, 45%, said the payment contributed to their opening an account. That's a, that's a big finding, right? Yeah, that, that's a very strong relationship between receiving that benefit and identifying that as a factor that contributed to the household decision to open a bank account. I mean, most of our decisions are, if we think about it, very complex, driven by a lot of different factors. And to have such a high proportion of households who receive that benefit and open a bank account connect those two is a really solid signal that that mattered to them. If we dive a little deeper into the numbers, Karen, though, uh, we're still seeing that there's a big difference in the unbanked rates among black and Hispanic households, right? Yes. So while... uh you know, the 2021 survey results do show an increased participation in the banking system. Certain population segments continue to be more likely to be unbanked. These include Black and Hispanic households. However, I'd like to point out that, right, these differences in unbanked rates between white households and Black and Hispanic households um, have improved in 2021 compared with previous years. uh, But, you know, the gap remains large. Right. Still more work to do. Keith, uh, give us a sense of why people aren't banked. So, so people uh, cite a variety of reasons for, for not having a bank account. They may cite reasons uh, about not having enough money to meet minimum balance requirements. They might cite fee-related reasons, although I would, I would be quick to add that, in fact, uh, while those are leading reasons, the proportion of households citing those is on the decline, um, and it dropped notably between 2019 and 2021. I don't know if you have that figure, Karen. I do, in fact. The proportion of unbanked households that cited fees or minimum balance-related reasons for not having a bank account fell from 38% in 2019 to 29.2% in 2021. Right. And in fact, you know, this may be evidence of a changing uh, marketplace. So one of the developments that's been really interesting in recent years to watch has been the spread of something that is often referred to as safe accounts. So these are bank accounts designed with low barriers to entry. So low or no minimum balance requirements, low or no monthly fees, and maybe most importantly, structured in such a way that households can't incur overdraft or insufficient fund fee charges on those accounts. So these are appealing to a lot of different consumers. And in fact, today, according to our latest analysis, banks accounting for 60% of all insured domestic deposits uh, offer one of these accounts in the marketplace. So we may be seeing evidence here in real time in the survey 
of the effect of a marketplace that's offering these sorts of accounts to consumers. Maybe there's this lag in perception because people just remember back in the day when these accounts were not available and now they are. Yeah, that that certainly could be the case. I mean, part of what the FDIC really does try to do is help people understand how the marketplace is changing and where the options are that they can connect with. Again, I mentioned at the top of this conversation sort of the Get Bank campaign where the FDIC invested in getting the word out. And it's important because a lot of factors influence household perceptions of the banking system. Cost is a key one of them. But Brian, you asked a couple of minutes ago about, you know, what are the other reasons households are not banked? And, you know, two that we regularly hear in the survey that rise to a level of significance involve household trust in the system and their concerns about potential losses of privacy associated with joining the banking system. Well, it seems as though this goes to the very heart of why you do this household survey is to understand where those tension points are and then work to overcome those. Right. I mean, for for the FDIC, this survey plays a critical role in helping us understand the extent to which households are participating in the banking system and the extent to which there are needs that the banking system could sort of extend further and help meet. And so, you know, we build off that every day in our national community affairs program, working with partners across the country. Okay. So, Karen, people describe how they use the banking system, but a lot of people use products and services out there provided by non-bank institutions of some kind. What does the survey tell us about that? Absolutely. Well, so first, let me say that the survey has found in 2021 that 14.1% of all households were underbanked, meaning that the household had a bank or credit union account, as you say, and also used non-bank financial transaction services or non-bank credit products um, that are, in this case, disproportionately used by unbanked households. Yeah. You know, one of the great things about this survey is really how rich it is and how much data it makes available. Um, You know, I'm struck when Karen and I have worked on this survey together for for over a decade now. And uh, when we're out talking with bankers, when we're out talking with community-based organizations, We hear all the time sort of uh, comments from people about how they have turned to the survey, how they've turned to the underlying data that people can get at FDIC.gov at the respondent level to understand more about the needs of consumers in their marketplace. And that's really what the underbanked data is telling us. It's telling us something about the opportunity for the banking system to extend itself and to address a broader set of needs. Uh, You know, readers can certainly look to the report. Uh, for, you know, really insightful uh, uh, analysis and uh, to learn more about that. They also can generate tables from our website or work with the data itself. Let's talk about online payment services. You know, the big ones are obvious to people, the PayPal, the Venmo, uh, and other sort of peer-to-peer payment systems. What does the survey tell us about the use of this new way people pay each other? Great question, Brian. Well, um As you noted, the survey added a new question in 2021 asking about non-bank online payment services such as PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App. You refer to these as, uh, you know, peer-to-peer payments, but actually our survey has found that many households use them for many more transactions than that. So, uh, you know, overall, we found that half of all households, 46%, were using non-bank online payment services at the time of the survey. Um, There were differences in how banked households were using these uh, types of accounts compared with unbanked households and how they were using these accounts. So 
almost three-quarters of banked households that had an online payment service account linked their their online service payment account to their bank account, using them both for a variety of transactions. More than half of unbanked households uh, with online payment services did not link any other type of account, such as a prepaid card or a credit card, to their online payment service account, suggesting that they were using those accounts um, in lieu of a bank account right. to conduct everyday financial transactions. Those numbers are really powerful, Karen. In fact, I think what this really illustrates to me is uh, what happens when unbanked households um, outside of the system are trying to meet their needs. They have real financial services needs and, and are finding an increasingly diverse array of options for, for where to turn. So in some ways, again, this represents another opportunity for the banking system to recognize a potential increase in their customer base. But it also calls attention to sort of a broader set of concerns. You know, when people are in the banking system, they can have confidence that their money is safe and that a range of consumer protections apply. So those are things like protections against unauthorized transactions, guarantees that they'll get timely access to their funds after they deposit a check. And most importantly of all, deposit insurance, the notion that your money is safe and secure and will be given back to you when you need it. Uh, And uh, for households going outside the banking system in an increasingly diverse system of financial services, those questions can be a little bit harder to sort out. And so it's really important for regulators, for nonprofit organizations, and everybody working with consumers to help them understand sort of the risk and how their rights may vary in different conditions. Karen, you've been doing this long enough to have noticed a trend. Have you seen it continue in in, uh, in terms of how often people use their phones and computers to bank? Yes. The 2021 survey found continued growth in households' use of mobile banking. Um, in 2021, 43.5% of banked households used mobile banking as the primary method for accessing their bank account. And this is up tremendously from 15.1 percent in 2017. You know, this is a really powerful trend. People have clearly uh, become increasingly comfortable with using their phone, their mobile device to access their bank account, you know, do things like pay bills, check their balances, including at point of sale. And, and, you know, that's that's a, a, a tremendous resource for consumers. I think one thing that's really important to, to notice here is that this trend, while it continued through the pandemic, clearly predates the pandemic. You know, these are long-term changes that show every appearance of being here to stay. You've been doing this for years, Karen, and you've tracked the trends over time. Uh, it seems like, broadly speaking, we're headed in the right direction if the goal all along has been to get more people into the banking system. does appear that way. And Keith, uh, just going back, this this surveys like this, the data, the raw numbers, state, local, national, actually do drive the work to bring people into the banking system, right? Right. The FDIC itself certainly turns to these data to understand where we should be investing our resources, where there are opportunities to connect people to the banking system. And as I said, you know, we see external partners doing the same, and it's really I think, a testament to the value that is created when the FDIC invests in research, invests in creating data like this that really provides an authoritative basis for exploring these issues. 
Well, uh, Keith Ernst and and Karen Chu, thank you so much for returning to the FDIC podcast and unpacking this household survey. It's just a wealth of information, and uh, you we use it all the time, don't we? Absolutely, and thank you for having us, Brian. Yes, thank you. 